This is Women Authors of Achievement podcast, episode 72, with guest Geza Meyer. Hello, everyone. I'm your host, Daria Suvorova, and welcome to the show. Today in the studio with me is Geza Meyer, self-proclaimed pop culture fan who is in charge of campaign formats, platform strategy, and innovation at Netflix. As an expert in storytelling and audience development, Geza's career spans over a decade, including positions at renowned publications like Spiegel and the German franchise of Watson. In our conversation, we delve into Geza's transition to social marketing at Netflix and speak about what the future holds for social community development. Join me for this fun conversation and make sure you leave a review on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or any other streaming platform of your liking. Geza, I'm so excited to welcome you today in the studio. I have quite a lot of topics in store and discussion points for today, and I'm thrilled to kick this off. So thank you so much for coming today. Thank you so much, Daria, for the invitation. I'm very excited what all those questions are going to be. So let's get into it. Let's do that. So can you share with me more about the times you were working in local journalism in Köln? And the fun fact, what you said to me, is that this is the time where you knew every bison that was born between 2008 and 2013 in Köln Zoo by name. And I was just like, wow, <laughs> what a story. I mean, what were those times? I guess those anecdotes are like the the charm of local journalism and also when you're just starting out. So I really did my first steps there and then... I think I was freelancing first. No, I was interning first. And then at some point I became a freelancer. And then normally what happens is like you get like two or three appointments or things, topics to do. And then one thing I always loved and hated at the same time is like there's a new baby in the Cologne Zoo. And um, it's it's <laughs> honestly, it was like really, I think, like the start of like cat content, you know, just in print. But it's basically, it's a photo opportunity. So that's the part that you don't like because you go there, you know, it will end up like a giant photo or like a slideshow. And there's really not much like to get, but you kind of have to be there to sort of like get like the name or, you know, get like some sort of angle. Mm -hmm. So you would always like go to this empty zoo, you know, no one there. Then they would like bring you to whatever cage, you know, there was the newborn. And then they would sort of present this very Lion Kingy to you. And you would be scribbling, you know, this this is Max. <laughs> <laughs> but it's yeah. such a beautiful start into career. I mean, Yeah, it was. It really was. And um, yeah, I guess what I love about local journalism and also because I moved from, I am from Bonn, so I am from the Rhineland. I've, of course, I knew like Cologne and I had been there and, you know, the parties and whatnot. But also you really get to know a city. And in the five years I worked there, like I went to so many concerts and to so many corners really of the city. Like I never, I don't know, I never, I don't think I ever got to know in a city as much as I did Cologne, as well as I did Cologne, just because you go so many places you normally don't. And I basically have a story or like a little anecdote to every second stone. So basically, if I get to visit the city, I should get some tips from you or like uh, try to get you, hire you as a guide. <laughs> well, I could try my best, but uh, I mean, I haven't been in, in Cologne for quite a bit. I left, I, I think, in 2000. 13. So, okay. you know, phenomenal. things change even in Cologne. Yeah. But you did mention that you learned very well. And I think that's so interesting. You understood what matters to the local audience through the local journalism. And 
that's a very particular group of audience that you're trying to supply with information and articles. So what really matters to those audiences? I think that's so I mean, especially in Cologne, which has like one million inhabitants and it's very it's a huge student city and but also, you know, very like families, older people. So there's a very diverse crowd that are all looking like for one angle. And the thing that unites them is like what happens in their city. And also you go out like you don't, you know, you don't call somewhere or you don't work a lot with agencies. You are ideally your own agency. So there's a lot of talking, a lot of like having your ear out on the street, trying to, I feel like I'm also romanticizing local journalism a lot, but ideally. It sounds know. like a dream job. I mean, you're at the zoo most of the time, walking <laughs> around the city, like listening to people's conversations. 100%. But it's also, for example, I remember when I first started, we had like a like a column that was called um, Good Morning Cologne. And then you would just like find a little story, like a little snack, you know, like I think I went to a hairdresser once or to like a cat pageants and stuff, you know, stuff like that. Just really local, local. You hang out there and you speak to the people and you catch the vibe and you sort of like report or not even. Yeah, well, you write about what people care about. Do you think that kind of t shaped you in the way that you're very empathetic? I guess so. I mean, I've always black. One of the colleagues there said once to me that. I never look down on the people that I write about. And it's very easy, I think, in local journalism to like look down on the people. And I thought that was one of the best compliments I ever gotten. And I think that's because I on, I'm honestly interested. I will always care. I always like honestly care about the story and I can appreciate like the people as well. Like I remember like one of the things that was very hated, like, do you know about Carnival in Cologne, right? Yes. So it's like either you love it or you hate it. Most people, especially outside Cologne, hate it. But it's always, it's a bit like same procedures every year. And then there was this local singer, God bless her heart, Nikuta. And she always had like a, like the song of the, of the season. And she always invited everyone back to our home somewhere in, in the north of Cologne. And you would go there for two hours and she would, like her best friend, I think, would like fry, you know, like some potato skins. And, you know, there was like a, like Reibekuchen, you know, and like, and then you just sat in her garden while she was singing playback, you know, her latest song in front of like her living room photo wall. And it was just so bizarre, but also so great, so amazing. Yeah, I even get excited now telling you about it. I can feel it. I'm like, this lady is a star. <laughs> this lady was amazing. She was honestly a, a Cologne legend. But yeah, so I do think this is charming and more charming than it is really like a Pflichtermin <laughs> where you have to do. So yeah, sorry, I got I got so excited about the Nikuta story. <laughs> no, that's, <laughs> no, that's perfectly great. And I'm just wondering if that sense of your understanding of those audiences and being able to connect with people also, I mean, we're going to talk about Netflix later on, but if trying to transition and connect this to your current role at Netflix, and if that allows you to understand the audiences through social campaigns and how you work and how you tailor formats, because you need to be empathetic, you need to have, you know, the fingers on the pulse to have the feel, what do people want? What do they want to share and talk about? And for that, you need to be able to kind of step into their shoes and be able to kind of observe what are their expectations when it comes to receiving content, receiving some kind of medium, right? Yeah, 100%. And yeah, coming back to like this diverse setup in, in Cologne, like there was, I think, 40,000 students, 30,000, 40,000 students in the city. Like I remember we were working on a project, how to like 
specifically appeal to this crowd. There's like definitely, you know, on the weekend, sometimes you have a magazine and then you're sort of thinking about like what can be there to go like more for the weekend and, you know, catering almost little products for like live events. And for example, like something that everyone always talks about is the weather. And the weather is the most boring thing you can report upon. But like the thing that always went best was how's my weekend going to be, you know? So I kind of feel like, yeah, definitely getting also getting direct feedback. Like I feel like because you can you either get like a letter to the editor. And back then, I mean, that was like 2008-ish, 2010-ish. Like people still wrote a lot of emails, sometimes even like snail mail. And you're kind of getting the feedback and, you know, there's a whole site designated to what people thought about the reporting about this and that. So there's strong feedback. And also sometimes you go into the city and there will be feedback on the street. So, oh, wow. So, you know, it's like, yeah, you always see each other twice, at least in Cologne. So I think the the mixture of like catering to the different audiences, learning what people really care about, and also to establish a connection and also the feedback. Yeah, that's really something that stuck with me. And also, yeah, the curiosities in everyday life. I sound like a cliche, but I feel like, yeah, in everyday life, it sounds corny, not a cliche, but very corny. Yeah. But like the magic of everyday life, honestly, that's what I care about as well. Like I also care about like what's going on that's somehow connected to me, maybe more than oh God, I can only I mean, say wrong I mean, but now. do you have time for that, right? To explore the magic of life because... That's something also we talked about, that you worked tirelessly for years without any vacation, any weekends, day and night. I mean, when do you have time to feel the magic and see the life when you're uh, writing nonstop? I guess those were really intense years, but also they were so great. Like I feel like I was on a constant high because there was like that also gave me so much energy. Especially, I mean, I was in my 20s when I started at Kölnerschulanzeiger. I started out in the online department and then I was working there for like maybe five days a week. And then on the weekends I would do as a freelancer, like the little stories in the neighborhood. And I don't know, somehow, I mean, I was young back then, <laughs> certainly couldn't do it now. I don't know, it was just like a vibe and an energy and it just came very naturally. Let's talk also about your time in Spiegel. So you went to Hamburg, and I think the three main cities that are kind of the pillars of your life is Cologne, Hamburg, and Berlin now. And the second chapter of that was Hamburg, and it is a quite substantial chapter in your life. You worked there for five years in different departments and roles. How did it feel to be part of such a big national paper? And also, what was it like working there? I think in my first week or my second week, the Pope stepped down and I was uh, interning at uh, Panorama. And um, Panorama is a bit like crime and crises and catastrophes, but it's also society and maybe a little bit of entertainment and people and also religion because that's a societal topic. So I don't know, but like I think we got the message and like we couldn't believe what we were reading. And then you're trying to fact check, like, is this really true? And we had a correspondent, Spiegel had a correspondent in Rome at that point. And we were like, just like pulling all the strings. I don't know, five minutes, 15 minutes. There was just like this huge machinery of like people springing into action, calling sources, trying to verify. There was a colleague who spoke Italian, who called the press secretary. She had the contact, you know, I was just like, everyone was like brimming and the air was like, you know, I just like 
crispy. So like, exciting. R- yeah. Wow. So it was super exciting. And I, I remember, I think I had come in really early and I stayed really late. Everyone did. And I think at the end of the day, we had like 47 pieces, you know, it started out with just like a news and then there was another news and then there was an interview and then there was a what we know and what we don't know. And then so 42 pieces yeah. per day. Yeah, I think in or 37, I don't yeah. remember, but it was Four a entire- huge number. Oh. And I was like, oh, my God, wow. And the next day was planned as well. I, I mean, like, how many content pieces you would create per day usually? I mean, it depends a bit if you're doing like a news shift right, like, right. and then you're working with the agencies and you're sort of, you know, there's a bit of a system and then you have like a backup right. who works into you and then you have other people who are free to like follow some reporting. But like really this sort of making the news, mm-hmm. following the news, setting the news agenda, that was really amazing. And I, I feel like the Spiegel is still very good at being like first responders in that sense, working amazing under pressure I feel like that's one of the biggest things I learned at Spiegel like really working really well and being able to focus and being able to focus getting the job done getting the output done you know also what kind of person you are when you're under pressure I think I'm very sharp I'm very outcome driven I do you panic no I don't panic I never panic I sort of go to autopilot but I do think several people can probably confirm including my Friends and family, like when I'm super stressed, I get cut. Sometimes I get a bit uh, snappy. (laughs) Okay. So, yeah, I guess that's fair. But like I get very focused, very this needs to be done now. And yeah, I try to make it happen. And also, yeah, being confident under pressure. Like someone needs to make a decision, right? Exactly. And also at some point you need to be able to trust yourself. And I think that's something I also learned at Der Spiegel. And back then, like I was working for Spiegel Online, as it was called, being able to trust yourself, being able to trust your craft, because I feel like a lot of time people speak about, do you have talent, blah, 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 blah. Can you write? And I feel like everyone can write. You can always learn to write, you know, Mm -hmm. but just like this high journalistic standard, even under pressure. And, you know, how the Spiegel has like a huge documentation uh, department. And we used to work with documentation people as well even online so i feel like that high standard i don't think you get that anywhere else in germany wow you should never talk in superlatives but yeah i feel like that's 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 the that's like a big school yeah but nonetheless after some time you felt that you need to move on like why was that and it's also like easy to leave such a machinery when things are really rolling every day you're excited there's news happening i feel like life is probably passing by by like click yeah simply because you're leaving and dreaming this you know, sensational stories, being so reactive to things. Yeah, 100%. And also you work in this shift system. So the first shift starts at 6 and then at 8 and then at 9. And then I think the late shift at 11. And then sometimes you come in on the weekend or something happens and then you just have to be there and there's a life ticker. Yeah, I feel like that was very draining in a sense. How does this German media journalism scene looks like and how it has evolved over those 10 years? I mean, I've been out of journalism for four years now, so I'm probably not the perfect person to speak to about, but um, I'll try to give you my perspective. I feel like when I started out at in print whatsoever, in the local paper in 2008, I feel like if you look back now, it hasn't aged well. Like there was very clear hierarchical structure very print versus online. A lot of men in the key positions, you know, not really diverse in any sense. In Germany, 
people are zitzing people, you know, they're like, you wouldn't call people on first name basis, you know, by default. There was like a, you know, like a very formal way of addressing. Formal way of like also doing things, you know, it was very, you would walk into the conference room and that would, you know, you would like, uh, like really shiver, like if you had to do like a, like a site or like a, like a newspaper critique, which is like a daily thing where one of the editors, you know, looks back and you know, has to share their minds. And that was Just always... like in the movies. Yeah, exactly. You would be like, Jesus, you wouldn't sleep or eat for like the days before that. And then afterwards you would ask around, like, how did I do? And people, you know, if they answer, you did well. If, you, if they didn't answer, you, you didn't do well. Okay. So, and then also if you if you hit enough, if you were too mean though, then, you know, that isn't... Like people got really upset, you know, and then be like, oh, who are you? You know, so it's like really, it's a bit of a vain environment. And then... Also, I get it. Like you're standing there with your name, you produce something and then you need to take like a very strong feedback. But so in this giving feedback is also a bit of a sport. So since then, things have gotten way better. I feel like editorial departments are way more reflecting on things. There's great initiatives like Paul Quota, who are, for example, like regarding gender equality, doing a lot of stuff with regard to innovation. That's like a lot of publishing houses are working with product innovation at, or have come to maybe a little bit too late but also you know I, f- I feel like you can tell they caught up a little bit and they're doing podcasts and they're doing video and they're embracing it and mm-hmm. the divide between print and online is becoming smaller and smaller even if it's I think it's still there but you know I feel like that really has changed also because print has done so badly in the last 15 years and, and just a lot of publishing houses are carried by their online presence there are some people that argue that there is a rise of clickbait and sensationalism, which has, you know, substantially contributed to the decline of quality journalism. I think it depends on the specific case. For example, you know, if you have like the classic headline in mind, picture number five will surprise you. Like, I don't think any of the big publishers does that, or at least I've never seen that. I think there are studies to that. Our attention economy and our shrinking attention spans has led to things being a bit oversold sometimes. Yeah, my personal take on this is, again, thinking from the audience, if you're not disappointing the audience, then you're good to go, or that maybe legitimizes a bit like a more candid headline. Mm. I feel like if you're delivering still, but if you're not delivering on what you're promising, people might click once, but they won't click again. Mm-hmm. And you will lose them. You will lose their trust. And that's the worst thing you can do as a brand, but also as a publishing house, because these people will remember. And I feel like audiences in general are sometimes somewhat underestimated. You probably know these headlines with like, these are the five cities you have to see this summer, stuff like that. And you kind of like, if you read this yourself, you're kind of like, I don't have to do anything, first of all. Second of all, <laughs> yeah, first of all, I don't have to do anything. And the second thing is like, most audiences, most readers or users or whatever you want to call them, your audience, they know what to do and they want to draw their own conclusions. So if you tell people what to do, you can only go wrong. And also, and at the same time, if you're not delivering on the promise that you're making, you're losing someone forever. And or that's very hard to repair. Today we're harder because there are so many other options. Exactly. Like today, if you make one wrong step, you lost your audience, and then they have your five other competitors that they could just simply follow. Yeah, hundred percent. That's true. But tell me, after all this beautiful journey, here you are reinventing yourself. I mean, not here exactly today, but uh, in two thousand twenty, 
you were like, you know what? I'm ready for a new challenge. I need to reinvent myself. I need to start something different, new. And that was the time where you joined Netflix. And there's some story behind it because there's some kind of interesting exercise you did to, <laughs> to land that job. What kind of exercise is it like? I started at Netflix in 2020. In the same week, by the way, Angela Merkel told everyone that it was getting serious. And I was like, it's getting, <laughs> you know, I'm like, hi, this, this is my first day on my dream job. My first week at Spiegel was like, literally, I stood with a cheesecake for the editorial team. And it was the day both of the editors and chiefs were sus suspended. And I have like a knack for showing up. Maybe I'm triggering these situations. I quit Watson in 2018 and I didn't work for over a year. And I guess in last you guess it, you didn't work for one year. Yeah, I didn't tell anyone. What did you do? <laughs> like, I cannot imagine a I'm person who was like day and night working and suddenly. I guess when I quit, there was a bit of a temptation to launch right into the next project. And there were quite a few offers or interests, you know, kind of like, oh, yeah, I need to keep my spot. I need to solidify where I'm at. And I guess what held me back a little bit is I felt like I had worked for 10 years straight and I did take a vacation, but, you know, I also was exhausted. I did have like a bit of a health problem when I was at Spiegel, you know, I had like a hearing loss thing due to stress. So I kind of felt like, all right, so it's been 10 years. Let's breathe and see what you really want to do. Because I also feel like I had done a lot in journalism, like the local angle, the big publishing house angle, the big advertisement house that wanted to become a publisher. And I feel like I, I build up so many things that I wanted to take a second and see what I feel passionate about, because there were like two other interests that were sort of sneaking up or three. I really was like getting into that <laughs> first. What is it? Oh, my God. I'm like all focused. Spit it out. But no, no so... Um, <laughs> So, so basically I had like through the 10 years, a few other topics had come up that I was really passionate about. First one was gender equality, being also always in a male environment, always arguing with men. And then the second one was just political consultancy, I guess, just that comes sort of a bit natural, I guess, with the job. And also I kind of, I was like a bit tired of it all. And also all the job offers I got, a lot of them were like, hey, do you want to be the head of digital? And then you should guide the digital transformation for this paper or for this publisher. And you're sort of like, so who am I reporting into? Ah, oh, yeah, the print editor-in-chief. I was like, this idea of having to explain why you're there in the first place, you know, and like convincing people who didn't want to believe that digital was mm -hmm. like important, that was just not like a an outlook that I wanted to have. I wanted something it's or something somewhere. exhausting. I, exactly. It's, it is exhausting. And I applaud the people who actually did that and did this amazingly. And the divide is definitely, because you ask about what's changing, I feel like this divide definitely has closed slash is closing. But like, it felt so tiresome. And I kind of really wanted the glass half full and innovation is great sort of mm -hmm. mentality. Something that didn't feel like a crisis all the time. And I guess that's my topic that I always slept around with me, which is entertainment and, I guess, pop culture in a broader sense. So first of all, I did a world trip. I had a big vacation time <laughs> and I traveled with a friend. And I traveled by myself and I, I think I was in my early 30s and I was like, for the first time I was by myself, you know, traveling, just checking out who I am, la la, but eat, pray, laugh in there, you know, so and then, I don't know, I feel like the further I got from home, the clearer it became for me that I didn't want to take this position where I, what I just told you, like, 
where I was leading some transformation. Yeah, and you have to deal with a lot of pushback. Exactly. Like you want to be elevated. You exactly. wanted to like move forward with like-minded people. And then I was, oh, I'm going to take some time off. And that was like at first really exciting. But then when I was back home, I was like, oh, I'm taking time off and I have no idea how to spend it. And I was really grateful for that because, you know, people were like, you're taking time off. Are you writing a book? And I'm like, no, I'm literally doing nothing. But then at the end of this doing nothing, I was like, okay, where do I start? I think I drove everyone in my um, personal circle really crazy until my friend uh, Franzi, she was like, all right, girl, you really have an attitude problem. You want to do something new, but you don't know what. You don't want to interview for that. You don't want to start new, but also, I don't know, I was just so lost. Mm -hmm. And then she was like, all right, let's do this exercise. It's like something she personally modified. So let's slam these topics that you're interested in on the wall. And I was like, oh, no. <laughs> it was like an afternoon. I was like, mm -hmm. and then let's do this. And then I was like, journalism. And she was like, no, like, you don't want to do this anymore. Like, let's not put it on the wall. And I was like, but I have so many offers. And this is like where I know everyone. And, you know, I have a foot in the door. And she was like, but that's not what you're. She's a good friend. Exactly. Yeah. So and then she was like, what else? And I was like, OK, gender equality. And then political consultancy and then entertainment pop culture and also i guess always series and film this is my happy place at the end of the day of a hard shift or i don't know whatever gruesome day you had you know like there's nothing a great rom-com or a csi miami can't smooth over you know i cannot agree more <laughs> so that was the kind of the perfect combination that exactly and then she had this challenge for me because she was like okay so how much do you want to work and like how much do you want to make and then You know, you figure it out. And then she was like, all right, so gender equality, you know, where can you start? And I was like, I don't know. And then she was like, get yourself together. I'm giving you this challenge. So you have to speak to 20 people. Let's say 25. That sounds more exhausting. So 25 people in the next six months and the first 10 in the next four weeks. And these people need to be able to tell you something about the job or like have the job that you want. And you can find someone, but you can't go to like a conference or, mm -hmm. you know, someone you meet at a networking event. It has to be like a one-on-one, -on -one, like take people out for coffee and then deep dive into the position and the topic. And so what I did, I think for like two or three months, I was like running around the city, going to Friedrich Ebert Stiftung, you know, like to events, checking things out. I actually joined UN Women, hang around there a little bit. And then just bit by bit, I realized... First of all, I didn't want to be at UN Women, not because they're not a, an incredible institution. They're doing an amazing work and I'm still part of that. But being in this hierarchical, bureaucratic apparatus, that's not for my nature. And then I applied for a couple of political consultancies and I spoke to a couple of people there and I immediately realized, like, that's not my tribe. And then she was like, all right, streaming. So who do you know? And I didn't know anyone. That was, I think, 2019, like, The streaming landscape wasn't as diversified. Netflix, for example, they still had their German team in, in Amsterdam. So I started to sort of like, I don't know, stalk people on LinkedIn, read old newspaper articles where someone might have been quoted. And finally, I stalked a few people down. And then you're sort of doing this like, oh, yeah, do you want to talk to me? And nobody wanted to talk to me. Oh, no. <laughs> Shout outs at this point. <laughs> and uh, my colleague who also ended up hiring me, Andreas. Huge shout out. He's the best. And uh, he was like, sure, I'm going to meet for a coffee. I would love to like connect to like someone from the media We didn't know each other. We didn't know each other. He also has a journalism background. Mm -hmm. And so we ended up talking and just like really friendly over sushi. He had just moved to the city and I took him to my favorite sushi lounge. 
trying to make an impression, you know, on the cool Netflix people. And um, we started talking and I guess we realized we were both passionate about the same things. And it's cool. he worked in editorial and publishing, which is the team I ended up joining. And um, he was telling me about his plans and also, you know, the editorial perspective and what his plans were. And so that was a match. And how did it feel for you to be part of that? Honestly, it was, it was, I was actually on my honeymoon and then I got the call with the offer. I was so excited. And I remember we were standing in the cold, it was February and we were standing in Paris. I was standing there and I was like, this is really happening. And my husband was, yes, yeah, honestly, it felt great. It, and taking the time off, resting, but then also, because for me, and this exercise really was so valuable. Because you came back and you had an intention. What I like, you didn't come back and like, okay, let's just maybe make the same mistakes as before, just doing exactly what I did before. But you paused back, you really investigated to make sure that you choose something that's new where you want to be. And a lot of people rush with that because this is the sense of uncertainty that make people uncomfortable. And also, I mean, if you're not employed, you feel like something is wrong with me. Maybe nobody wants to to work with me, maybe something is off. So everyone rushes to where they belong, to usually where it's easy to get in. Yeah. But you were like, hold on, let me investigate, let me meet the people, let me try to see where do I fit. This sounds like so rational and reasonable. Like it does. How you're summarizing it, but this was honestly a roller coaster. I went from no one will ever hire me again, <laughs> particularly when I spoke to my parents who were like, how could you, you know, why are you turning this down? But at the same point, like sometimes, yeah, you go from I'm doing the right thing and then you're getting anxiety that you will never find a job again. So, but yeah, I guess that's also. that's But that's really cool. But, but explain to me. So you joined the editorial and publishing team and you've eventually more transitioned to social marketing. What is happening at Netflix? What are you working on? What are maybe some like exciting things that you can share? So one of the great things at Netflix, because we spoke about innovation earlier, right, is that if you want to change things, things will be changed. And yeah, I don't want to look back too much, but if you want to change something at their Spiegel, which is a giant traditional publishing house, you know, it takes time to move things. And at Netflix, things move fast, which is like an environment I completely thrive in. So when I started out, I was more working with an editorial angle and a publishing angle very much finding the channels that we interact with our community and that included social, but that also included like ideas like can we build a publishing hub, like something like a website, which is very popular in Germany. People still like to read. They Google stuff, you know, so that actually made sense. And we had a podcast for a couple of seasons and like a newsletter. So you actually like try things out and if things don't work out, you just move on. So what happened is that a couple of years ago, this department transitioned more into social marketing. So what we're doing now is really focusing on these social media stratas, for example. What is social marketing? Social marketing is basically we have a huge community and we're working with this community and keeping this community active and engaged and excited about so it's like netflix channel followers exactly mm -hmm. and then of course we're also looking to sort of present and entertain and showcase what's coming up and i guess do you have netflix yes <laughs> no but maybe should I, should I respond is it like a product advertisement should i be like censor no, no, no. but, like, but just like an example i like yes to and i recommend everyone else to have it <laughs> 
No, but it's just like even I who works there and I do watch a lot and I do read a lot about what's out there. I keep track. Like sometimes it's like, how do I navigate? I mean, the question is always, what do I watch next, right? So I kind of feel like social marketing is trying to answer that question to you as well, right? Through those social channels yeah. when you kind of like create some kind of campaigns that introduce the shows, right? As I understand, exactly. there's a new show and there's like kind of teaser after teaser answering the questions and everyone is finding their right audience. And also some of the shows create their own channels as well. So there becomes a community around a show. I also um, seen that. I mean, there's different tools mm -hmm. to like what you can do. I guess something that's really special about Netflix is that we really think social first. So we really try to like think about what our community and what people on social, like how they engage and how they, what they're interested in and also try to cater to the diverse channels. TikTok does just simply not work the same way Twitter or Facebook or even Instagram works. So knowing your audience and also optimizing and capitalizing on the platform that they're at, that's paramount. For What's it. been working best for what kind of audience? I mean, a lot of young adult content. Like, so, I mean, that's the niche factor, like really works well on TikTok and on Instagram still. What I always find funny, because I'm now in my in my 30s, how different really this younger generation is on TikTok. I come from like a generation, I kind of really like, really glamorize editorial stuff. And then you go to TikTok and everything's really authentic. And, you know, people use like funny props to do something and really understanding and deep diving into that and capitalizing on that. That's like also... That's interesting perspective. I mean, that means like before you had to put everything, as you said, you had to shape it, you had to filter it, you had to make it perfect. Do you feel like you're focusing a lot on Gen Zs and forget about Gen X, millennials and others? No, not at all. TikTok is like a bit of a new shiny toy, you know? Yeah. So you can really explain how different the channels work. Right. I do think we do very well at targeting people where they are at. Geza, tell me yeah. about... The future of social marketing. Maybe we can talk about that and you can share some highlights. I think the social media sphere will be even more about conversation. Where do people talk about what? They want to be part of something and they want to be part of a conversation. They want to shape the conversation. The way forward and how it's going to be is actually like more engaging in a dialogue versus just being like the person who sends an information out. So it's not just like a one-way channel creating these spaces. I mean, we see it a bit with Twitter, right? Elon and everybody wanted to leave, but people are still sticking around. Like, why do they do that? Or a lot of people are, especially in Germany, because they don't want to lose that space. We will continue to build these spaces and there will be more focus on being able to interact and to engage I like that. You know, it actually reminds me like someone on the show said that there will be a, like a chief community officer, a person who is fostering those communities, the audiences, ensures high engagements, the loyalty. And it makes so much sense. And I'm actually curious to see when the brands and companies start focusing more because it's not anymore just about launching a successful marketing campaign, but as you said, to follow up with the get the letters, you know, maybe going to this kind of a little bit traditional editorial way of when people could send actual letters, feedback, because they felt they had ownership to give you feedback, right? And those like traditional publishing houses. So here, it would be very interesting 
environment where we see brands receiving a lot of feedback that they deserve and they know how to implement and they improve based on it. And that engagement driving like this co-creation, as you said, between the audience and the audience is not longer followers, but they're partially contributors. 100%. I mean, like, the first of all, I feel like they hold accountable. The second thing that we often see is like, you know, we get the eventual troll or like people who are annoyed by something or whatever. And something really beautiful that we observed is that the community is actually like sort of regulating itself. We have then people from the community who follow us on our channels, like interacting with the troll or the hate and just being like, hey, but don't you understand that this and that, you know, it doesn't even have to be like something super negative. Right. People asking questions and then people are responding. So they're having a position. Exactly. Like in real life as a citizen, basically, you should not be just neutral, right? If you see right or wrong happening on the streets, you should come by and say, like, excuse me, you should treat this other person walking down the street with respect. Uh, Ultimately, that's just good behavior or expected human respectful behavior. But I love that you were saying that. This brings me to my last question, and I'm very bold to ask you this, Geza. I'm always nervous asking the very last one because you never know what you get in return. But I am always curious to hear who are the women authors of achievement of my guests who do they see as great creators of their own lives or who are their role models? And I'm curious, Geza, to whom would you like to give a spotlight to today? I mean, there's so many incredible women in my life, and I'm so grateful for that. I have to say that. If I had to pin it down to one woman, I kind of feel like you want a one-woman sort of answer. It has to be ann Katrin Gastlauer, just because our passes have aligned for such a long time now. Like we met when we were we were super young, we were newbies, we were two peas in a pod and we always kept in touch over the years and really also helped each other when we needed someone to to bounce things off or like to get advice, you know? Hmm. Like these moments when you feel like you failed and who's the person you can call who understands. When we went to Watson, I really knew I wanted to do this with her because we had always had this idea of how things should be, you know, and building this up with her. She's like a ride or die. I trust her with her judgment. I know she gives me the truth. Like her feedback is honestly the best and the worst because she will never sugarcoat it for you. But if, if it's good, it will be good. And if it's bad, she will tell you, you know, you can just trust her. Ever since we, we quit Watson and we quit it together at the same time as it like sort of collective decision like what she did since then become this fearless woman who's self-employed she's just going down her path she's an author she wrote the book she really wanted to write she's um become a great speaker she launched a newsletter that was great i feel like she's doing a lot of the things that we always thought out to like she's a voice of reason she's innovating she's working for the greatest publishing houses in the country and i really I mean, I value her so much in my life and I feel like she's also bringing a lot of inspiration and support into the industry, really. I really hope she gets to hear this episode. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm, I'm, then, I stand. And then it's very complimentary and you definitely spoke from your heart. I feel like there's a, like a strong bond and the sense of respect and commitment. This brings me to the wrap up of today's conversation. 
I just loved how much you've shared and thank you for taking me on this journey through your life. It was a journey and really understanding you, understanding this strong, powerful woman who is, was there to build things, was there to challenge and also rediscover herself because I think those stories are very inspiring to the listeners, to me for sure, when I see that moment in life when you can challenge things, you can start over, you can look at yourself from different perspective and it's always very moving and refreshing. I love those stories. Thank you for sharing that and thank you for being on my podcast, Geza. Thank you, Daria, for this lovely time and for questions that really make me go down memory lane for the good and the better. So thank you very much for this lovely invite. That's a wrap. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining us today. You can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And please don't forget to leave us a review. We're always excited to read them. If you want to interact with us, the guests, or the podcast listeners, then head over to our Instagram page at waa.berlin. And while you're there, make sure to check our webshop. Thank you again for listening, and we're looking forward to being back soon.